This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From the Centennial State, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Robert Cowan and Luke Quintel from Team Copperhead. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have five news items for you today. First up, Team Sawblaze had a dominant showing at last weekend's Norwalk Havoc, with Sawblaze Captain Jameson Goh taking home first place in the Beetleweight division with his experimental 3-pounder Silent X, while his teammate Lucy Dew took home first place in the 12-pound division with her tanky undercutter Hot Leaf Juice. In the 30-pound division, Jameson Goh's Sawblaze-esque Sawbot Megatron was heavily favored to win, but lost two judges' decisions in a row, clearing the way for Colorado's Pete Covert to take home the Golden Dumpster with his drum spinner Yahoo. Pete is a veteran in the sport and most recently took home 8th place at the Chinese competition Fight My Bots with Yahoo. Um, the four of us, we worked uh, the entire weekend at Norwalk Havoc. This was the best Norwalk uh, yet. If you haven't checked out uh, the live stream, it's now up on YouTube. Uh, Chris, Kyle, Lindsay, I would love to get your thoughts on uh, the past weekend. Favorite bots, interesting storylines, uh, heartwarming moment, moments, weird moments. Uh, I'd love to just get your get your thoughts in general. I uh, I really like that we um, we continue to see Norwalk evolve every every event. Um, you know. It, it, it has come so far since 50 Day Street and just like, you know, a, a bunch of robot enthusiasts kind of hanging around a, uh, you know, a, a smaller weight class box. And now you're in the state of an art facility, the pits, uh, they're working out all of the kinks, the safety protocol, everything was just such so much more regimented this time. Um, you know, the, the, the crowd, this is the first time that we've seen the crowd kind of show up. There's, there's a food truck there. I mean, it's really, really coming together and I'm excited to see where they go two months from now. And then of course for the, you know, the really big tournament in December. Yeah. Any, any favorite bots from, from this weekend? I, I really liked, um, well, there's, there's a few, there's like, you know, the, the fan favorites, of course, like, like Billy and Milk Tank that are just so fun to root for. And then there's like, you know, uh, uh, some, some new, you know, bots that we've, 
that we've seen. Uh, it, it didn't necessarily uh, perform as well as we had like we would have liked, but UFO Joe was like a really interesting uh, approach to the you know the the design challenge. Um, literally a bot that comes in at double the weight because its builder uh, read uh, the rules like with a fine tooth comb and managed to get every last ounce possible into the bot. Um, uh, Project Liftoff is just absolutely insane to watch, literally cutting a gouge into the side of the box. Uh, yeah. Literally explosive match every time you see Project Liftoff get in there. And then, of course, uh, you know, Silent X, that thing is uh, absolutely mesmerizing to watch. And, um, you know, I, I would really love to see Jameson scale that thing up to another weight class. I'd love to see if it, if it works in 12 or 30. Another bot that I thought was really cool, or series of bots, was Skyline and Dusk. Skyline was uh, the 12-pound uh, like active weapon one, and Dusk was the 3-pound mini version of it. Um, and I just had never really seen anything like that before. Maybe one of you can describe the physics of it a little bit better. But, um, I mean, just, like, the the attention to detail and the dedication that the team put into building it, and it, it almost had, like, a, like, um, like, a skeleton made out of aluminum that held it together, and, and around it was, um, uh, UHMW and, and I, I think another material, but it was, like, it, it had, like, a spine to it. It was just really cool. Um, I don't, I don't think that it maybe, um performed the way that they were hoping but I know that they were really planning on using this as like a test to kind of see you know how they can improve it for the future so I'm really hoping that they come back with it because it was it was really beautiful um and I'm gonna echo what Chris said well spoiler alert when Milk Tank uh somehow pulled out a triumphant win over Isaac Mailer's bot uh Red Dye 12 like when I, I was in the control room all day and literally everybody in there was on their feet. We were dropped like everything that we were doing and we were just all standing up cheering with our arms in the air. And uh, man, that was that was like the highlight of the day for me, I think. Yeah, I almost uh, I I screamed so hard that I uh, I was I was worried that I damaged my voice and um, I was so, so happy for Milk Tank. Um and uh, that team is awesome, and I hope that we see them a third time and, and a fourth time. You know, um, Kyle. You know, before before we close out the segment, you know, your your thoughts on like cool bots that you saw. Uh, coolest bot for me was seeing Bobby. I thoroughly enjoyed that, but I also got to say I really enjoyed seeing the entire team from, from Seoul and um, everybody from Mexico City that came out. It was just so cool to see a big international team come out and not only like come out, but do very well. Um, and also have some fun with the rules like uh, war machine, which was basically just a metal box with a giant propane tank flamethrower, um, which made a bunch of the people in the chat very scared, but don't worry. The box is literally double thick polycarbonate and negative air pressure and all of the things. It's perfectly fine. Yeah. Speaking of Norwalk Havoc, Pain Train Captain Evan Arias broke some news on the Norwalk Havoc livestream last weekend. Pain Train has been accepted to the 2021 season of BattleBots. Pain Train made its BattleBots debut in 2020, ending the season with a 1 and 2 record. Evan plans to build a completely new Pain Train in the next month, mirroring the sprint build that he and his team experienced last season. 
An update now to a story we brought you last week. The team behind Gigabyte has agreed to field a second robot this season. The team has acquired Cobalt, the scary vertical disc spinner that last appeared at BattleBots 2019, making a splash by cutting apart Sub-Zero and nearly killing Duck. This season, the bot will be captained by Matt Maxim, who returned to the competition last year to join Gigabyte. Cobalt builders Sam Smith and Dave Moulds this week confirmed that they are retiring from the sport to spend more time with their families. We interviewed Dave Moulds on this podcast back in October 2020. Check out that episode if you'd like to learn more about this chocolate factory engineer turned killer roboteer. On over to South Korea, where this week we got an early look at Orbi Blade's first functional test, driving on a darkened street and wagging its self-writing mechanism. Orbi Blade builder Chuck Yu Huang is South Korea's biggest combat robotics fan and organized a pre-pandemic international competition in his home country that drew multiple builders from the U.S., notably Scorpios co-captain Zach Lytle and Diana Tarlson. Orbi Blade is confirmed for BattleBot Season 6, which films next month in Las Vegas. And finally, speaking of Zach and Diana of Scorpios, the couple somehow managed to get their hands on the brand new BattleBots Arena Max set from Hexbugs, which is larger and more plastic than the earlier Arena set. This toy is currently found randomly in the wild at Target stores. As of this recording Monday night, you still couldn't find it online, so head out to your local Target to see if you can score one yourself in the wild. Check out the Scorpios channel on YouTube for the unboxing. And that's it for this week's news. After the break, our interview with Robert Cowan and Luke Quintal. This week on the podcast, we have two very special guests, Robert Cowan and Luke Quintal from Team Copperhead. Robert runs an incredibly entertaining and informative combat robotics channel on YouTube, posting weekly build videos to his nearly 38,000 subscribers. Outside of Copperhead, Robert is known for his 30-pound combat robot, Crippling Depression. Luke Quintal is best known for unconventional designs like Rickety Cricket, Kitten Mittens, and his newest creation, Troll Toll, which debuted last weekend at Norwalk Havoc. We're looking forward to learning more about Copperhead and the secret to truly epic beard maintenance in the hour ahead. So welcome to the show, Robert and Luke. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. I am so happy that the both of you are here. Um, We are such huge fans of Copperhead. We last had... um, Copperhead on the show uh, earlier this year after your big match with Mammoth. And um, I am really looking forward to to really kind of digging more into your backgrounds and your passions. Um, so this is a real treat for us. Luke, uh, I would want to start with you because I I literally saw you two days ago, you know, uh, in Norwalk, Connecticut. Uh, you are not originally from, from Norwalk. You flew all the way out to compete. I want to I want to ask you about these interesting designs. I am such a huge fan of unconventional designs. And when I think of kitten mittens, when I think of rickety cricket, when I think of troll toll, I I'm just I have so many questions. Uh, I would love to hear about how you started in combat robotics and if you were always passionate about interesting designs or if that that came later, you know, uh, how come you don't uh, show up to the competition with a uh, with an egg beater drum spinner? You know, I guess all of it. Um, Can you can you tell me a bit more about your your history in the sport? Yeah, sure. So um, I actually got into combat robots uh, a long time ago. I, like a lot of other builders, got into the sport uh, from watching the original series on Comedy Central. 
And then uh, I was just, I wanted to build my own. Um, so around the age of 14 or so, you know, I, I reached out to my dad, who's a real smart guy. And I'm like, I want to be on this show uh, and uh, I want to do it. And my, my parents are quite supportive. And uh, we eventually were able to pull off uh, building a middleweight uh, in 2004. Um, but at that point, uh, the show had gone off the air and there weren't a lot of places to compete. Uh, we were able to compete with the robot um, at uh, Fuzzy's Robot Club and Grill. Um, so mm. Fuzzy, the builder of Texas Twister, ran some events for a while. Yeah, in um, Pennsylvania. So can, uh, yep, in Pennsylvania. So we competed there. And then the following year, we were able to compete at BattleBots Rochester R3, which was an untelevised BattleBots event in 2005. Uh, so there we competed with our middleweight. It did okay, um, but, you know, it, it wasn't a great robot uh, compared to some of the other robots there. Like, Waiachi came with a whole bunch of robots, and they did really well, as they usually do. Um, but then after that, I, I kind of went off to school and lost interest for the show for uh, for over 10 years. And uh, I didn't really get back into the sport until I met uh, Zach and Casey, uh, who were the builders of Poison Arrow in Season 2. Um, I was out camping in the mountains and uh, something came up on my news feed saying that there were robot builders um, showing off their robots at the Denver Science Museum. So uh, I cut the trip short. I told my girlfriend, we got to we got to go meet these people. So I went to the Science Museum. That's where I saw Poison Arrow, Zach and Casey. Um, and I just ended up following these guys around to all the all the all the appearances that they would do, you know, creator spaces, maker fairs, they would do viewing parties for the show. I just kind of followed them around. And eventually I got to know these guys and that kind of rejuvenated my love for the show. Um, so at that point, um, I had found out that Casey, uh, the builder of Poison Arrow, hosted local events. Uh, so I started building, I tried, to, I tried to start building my own robots after taking a long break and you know, it had been so long, I didn't really know where to start. So I actually ended up buying a FingerTech Viper kit and uh, thinking that I would just, you know, walk in and destroy everybody. But uh, I got my butt kicked. Um, so uh, that was kind of uh, a, a great learning experience. But from, from those failures, I ended up starting to build my own robots. Um, I built a Beetleweight called Rumham that was essentially an evolution, in my mind, of what a FingerTech Viper kit could be. Um, and then I competed with that in 2017 at Robo Games, and I got fourth place, mm. and uh, it did quite well. And you know, just that moderate amount of success just you know kept me really interested in the sport. And uh, since then, I've I've been I've been into it 100%. So like each year, I build a couple new robots, and I compete wherever I can. And uh, and I eventually got asked to be on uh, on the show with uh, when uh, Zach and Casey were the the team captains. So and then I've been quite a part of the community, at least here in Colorado, for the past you know three years or so. Yeah, one of the things I, I really like uh, about you as a builder is that it doesn't seem like you're chasing the meta. Like you know, you don't bring a thirty pound uh, mini bite force to uh, to Norrock Havoc. You know, you don't bring a twelve pound shredded bro. You know, to Norrock Havoc. Um, but instead, you bring like this totally terrifying kind of lurching, uh, walking, gyro, uh, gyro walker. You know, uh, where does where does that that come from? Um, you know, this idea like I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can build a one wheeled robot. You know, I'm gonna see if I can build a, a non wheeled robot. Uh, you know, for for you as a builder. 
Yeah, I mean, so my first couple of robots, like I definitely wanted to build, you know, something a little more traditional. Um, you know, my first couple of robots were undercutters, which is a fairly well known design. Um, but then as I got a little bit more comfortable, as I started to learn CAD a little bit better, um, I wanted to try something a little bit different. Um, all of my robots tend to like be hub motors, hub motor designs. And I know like some of the early gyro walkers, um, like uh, the robot Gyrobot, uh, built by uh, Dan uh, Chatterton, um, was relied on a hub motor. And I already had some experience building hub motors. So I felt like I, I had the experience to build something like a gyro walker. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. Like only Dan at the time uh, had built a gyro walker. And I'm like, well, you know, it's a, it's a weapon on a hub motor. And then you have a servo that makes it move back and forth. So it seemed like something I had the means of being able to design. Um, and it was just so cool. Like, you know, I, I think the great thing about combat robots is, you know, you can put anything in the arena. You know, you can have, you know, a toaster or anything, anything that you can make remote controlled, you can put in the arena. And if you can make it destructive then all, all that much better. But um, I just I didn't think it would work when I built the first gyro walker. You know, I, I didn't really build any spare parts for it because I didn't think it would work. And I was uh, really surprised when it actually did work. Um, and since then, like everybody loved it. So um, even though it's not the most competitive design, uh, it's everybody really enjoyed it and I enjoyed building it. So I, I feel like you don't necessarily have to build the most competitive robots to be successful in combat robots. If you can build something weird and quirky, but still have it work, um, that could also be seen as a success. So I think, you know, you can build combat robots for all sorts of different reasons. Um, you don't have to chase the meta to, uh, be well known. And I, I feel like if you build something weird and quirky and you can pull it off, then, uh, you'll get a lot of respect from other builders. I want to ask you about one particularly weird and quirky design. I got to see this in person, uh, Troll Toll. Now, for uh, for people who didn't catch the live stream, can you describe Troll Toll, I guess, for, for an audio medium? Um, you know, how would you to describe to somebody who, who hasn't seen it before? Yeah, so so sure. Troll Toll is actually based on an Antweight robot I built four years ago. Um, that robot was called Aspot. And uh, all it had was just a ginormous saw blade attached to a huge motor. And I didn't really have any weight left over for the rest of the robot. So I just, it just had a single wheel. And, uh, and uh, it only had one or two matches, but uh, they were really hilarious to watch. And uh, it really, just everybody loved it. Um, so I, I thought it's just, it might be fun to kind of revisit this design that, you know, never should have worked, didn't really work that well, but I thought maybe now I, I might be able to make something that works a little bit better. But essentially what Troll Toll is, is it's got a single big wheel on the back and to get um, movement, it uses the weapon axle as a tiny wheel. Uh, so Troll Toll has like a 10 inch weapon that can spin, you know, over 150 miles an hour, but it, it'll also use its weapon axle, which is about an inch big uh, as a small wheel. So if you have something really big that spins at 150 miles an hour, but it, and then it uses the same RPM with a really small diameter wheel, um, it can actually move at a, at a normal speed. So I think Trolltoll has a top driving speed of maybe like 25 miles an hour, um, but then the weapon at the same time can spin it at like 150 miles an hour. So Trolltoll actually uses its weapon axle as a wheel as well as the back wheel. So um, as I start to spin up the weapon, the robot will want to spin around itself, and then I have to use the back wheel to kind of chase the weapon. So it's uh, it's really hard to drive, um, 
like there's there's no stopping uh you can only just turn so uh <laughs> in my first match you know i didn't quite get it you know get a feel for it as soon as i spun up the weapon and i ran right into a wall and the the wheel fell off and it bursted into flames so not <laughs> what i wanted to happen but it was still pretty entertaining so you know it did work in testing so i you know i think with some more driving practice and some more tweaking i can make it move a little bit better but uh it was it, it's fun it's different i didn't expect it to do great but um it looked cool and uh and i think you know it was a good first try it put on a great show which is more than than you can say about a lot of robots and i feel like it's so memorable i i i hope that you stick with the platform i hope that you stick with the idea and uh, we see the return of Troll Toll and maybe a couple of, of wins under its belt. Robert, I would love to to uh, to learn a little bit more about your history in the sports. You know, how did how did you first get started in combat robotics? Can you talk us through some of the early robots that you built, and then basically how robots came to consume every aspect of your life? That's a that's a good way of putting it. Um... I think like Luke, I started out by um, getting to know Zach and Casey. Uh, I actually worked with Casey, the same Casey that um, helped design Poison Arrow, the predecessor to Copperhead. I was working at Sparkfun Electronics as the product manager, and that's where um, a lot of people know me from first. I was working alongside of him. He was an engineer, and he brought in um, one of his bots, which was, what was that? Electric Lawn Gnome Supremacy. It was a 60-pound drum spinner. And he brought that in, and I'm not gonna say that we did any testing of the drum, but maybe there was some testing done of the drum, and <laughs> that thing was loud. It awakened something inside of me, and um, that's when I started getting into combat robots. There was a competition coming up, Robo Games, which is um, no longer around, but I decided to build an ant weight. And I think this is kind of a good story for everyone that's looking to get into combat robots. I that kind of started my, I guess, YouTube career with Combat Robots. I'd already been doing other YouTube videos, but that kind of started my videos in the Combat Robot realm. And I created the video series for Sergeant Cuddles, which um, showed you know, how I made the weapon, how I made the whole thing, how I machined it, all that good stuff. And I went to the first competition with Sergeant Cuddles, lost my first fight, okay, no big deal, lost my second fight, I was out. You know, I'd spent six months building this thing. I lost my two first first two fights ever, and I actually walked away from Combat Robots for eh, about a year. Wow. And then there was a local competition, the same one that Luke was referring to, and um, ended up just dusting off cuddles. Like, I mean, literally, I basically just took it off the you know the shelf, dusted it off, fixed a couple things, and then ended up getting um, first place in that competition. And once I got that kind of first place prize, it was like, okay, this is pretty cool. And um, went on to build Kamikaze after that, um, just kind of as a um, little bit of a joke robot. And then Crippling Depression was actually my third bot after that. And then, geez, what, Psychotic Break, Low Low Man, Long Long Man, Psychotic Break version two. And, you know, that's kind of when I started building all the other robots. I, I'm curious, you know, you, talked a little bit about how this kind of activated like a part of your brain and i feel like once you like that that it either happens or it doesn't you know um you know what is it about combat robots specifically that you know just turned you into like such this lifelong fanatic about the sport 
Yeah, that, that's a great question. That's something that I've always kind of tried to, you know, think through because it's such a weird endeavor, right? You're spending so much time, effort, and money to build something to ultimately just get destroyed. And, you know, it's weird. I, I posted on Facebook or something a few days ago that I was, you know, spray painting internal components of Copperhead. And I'm literally, you know, building the drive components and I've got them outside in a spray tent right now with like a third coat of clear coat. <laughs> and my wife was just like, why? Why are you doing that? I'm like, why are we doing any of this? We're building these robots to destroy them. Why wouldn't I paint it? You know, that that's along with the theme. And the, the only thing that I've come up with is there's no end game, right? There is no way that you can get to the end and get bored of it and just put it on the shelf. And this might sound a little bit controversial to some people, but how many YouTube channels are out there where they just kind of build something just for the sake yeah. of building? And I'm thinking of like um, Colin Frews and things like that. They're just kind of building something for the sake of it, but they're setting all their own constraints. You know, they're setting all the rules, they're setting all of the design guidelines and then just kind of artificially saying, hey, I met the objectives. With combat robots, it's not that simple. You know, you gotta actually show up and put this thing against someone else's creation and there's a definitive, this one is better than that. So there's so much engineering that goes into trying to pit these two very dissimilar designs against each other and see what works. And it's never ending because, you know, someone like Luke is gonna come up with some wacky ass design and then you're going to have to fight against that. And, you know, it's just this perpetual cycle of engineering over and over. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I can feel that. I feel like, like there's always a deeper layer that you can go into with this sport. And that, um, that there, there is always like some new frontier for this. There is some new meta that's lurking out there that um, has yet to be built, has yet to be tested, and that's that what that's that's what really keeps it fresh. You know, um, you really have no idea what is coming to the competition, and there's just it's I I, I absolutely understand uh, exactly what you're saying. I, I I would love to learn a little bit more about YouTube. So like you started posting videos to YouTube seven years ago. And um, I feel like this was back um, at a time when people were still trying to figure out what YouTube was. And um, like, is it a video hosting service? Like, is it a brand building service? Like personalities still were pretty, pretty like nascent, I would say on YouTube, but you've built this up into like really a pretty impressive body of work. I would I would love to hear more about your, your journey with YouTube, kind of how much time you spend building your, your videos every single week and um, some of the cool stuff that, that you've experienced because of your, your YouTube channel over the last uh, seven years. Wow, that, that's quite a bit to talk about. Um, yeah, let's start with, <laughs> let's start with <laughs> the beginning of YouTube. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, um, I was a product manager of SparkFun Electronics for, I don't know, like seven years or something like that. And during that time, um, there was an idea that was floating around, and I don't take any credit for it, that we should kind of do these weekly videos to show people, you know, the new products that we're coming out with and, you know, just some examples of how you could use them or, um, you know, just kind of like little use cases, application notes, if you will. And so I started doing the, you know, new product post, uh, yeah, what was it, the new product showcase or something like that. And so I started doing those, which were weekly videos where we would just take all the new products. Sometimes I'd grab some older ones and I would just kind of 
create little projects around them or just you know kind of show them off a little bit and so I did that for geez five or seven years and you know we had a pretty good following there was uh, I want to say like one to two million subscribers at that point wow. um, back in those days and you know we were getting 30 to 40,000 views a week something like that and when I transitioned away from SparkFun and went to kind of go do my own thing, I, I wanted to keep up the YouTube channel. I still wanted to kind of keep that audience and keep that engagement. And so I ended up um, transitioning over to my own channel. And at the time I was really into um, building my own CNC machines. And you know, basically you take a manual milling machine and then you know add all the electronics and the motors and the components and turn it into a full-fledged CNC machine. So I was doing that, and that was kind of a means to the end for me getting into combat robots, because you know, of course, I had it in my head that I needed a CNC machine for that. So that's about the time that I was building um, Sergeant Cuddles, my first bot. And at that time, Tormach actually approached me. They make uh, CNC machines and things like that. So they approached me about a sponsorship, and they sent me a Tormach, and you know, the sponsorship started um, coming in, and then just man ever since then i've been releasing basically a video every week either relating to machining combat robots or little tips and tricks around the shop so it's just kind of something i've always done um, i think for the last at least decade on average i've had you know a video a week on youtube and it's it's a fair amount of work but for the last decade i just don't really know what I would do without it, you know, it's become just kind of a big part of my life. Yeah, is it a is it a full time job yet? I mean, like, is the uh, Robert Cowan YouTube Enterprise, you know, um, is how how much how much time you know do do you spend every single week? You know, can you kind of give us a give us a behind the scenes look at at uh, what it takes to to run the channel? Yeah, yeah, it it varies quite a bit. Um, some weeks I maybe only spend an hour or two. Um, you know, lately I've been having some. Eh, pretty easy videos just because I'm busy with Copperhead and everything. Um, a lot of times I will just kind of bank a lot of videos together. So some weekends I'll just do a video weekend and I'll spend Saturday and Sunday just, you know, banging out four or five videos and that will kind of sustain me for a month or so. So it really varies, but I spend kind of on average anywhere between two and ten hours a week on videos. And it's, it's not a full-time job and it's never going to mm. be. Um, I, I don't know, have the benefit of having a pretty decent career and it's just, there's no way possible it's ever going to replace my primary income. So for me, it is kind of nice because I can stand back from the sponsorship stuff and just kind of do what I want to do. Any sponsorships that I take, I set the terms. Um, I tell them like, look, you're not going to preview the videos. They're just going to get posted and they're going to say whatever I want to say. Um, so I kind of do have that luxury and I'd like to keep it that way. Um, YouTube has really turned into a bit of a cesspool of everyone just taking any dollar that they can and just, oh, this product's amazing and here's, let me, let me tell you why and here's where you can buy it. And I just never really want my channel to become that. Got it. Okay, so we're not going to be seeing uh, Raid Shadow Legends or Raycon <laughs> ads on on uh, on your your channel. That's good. Um, okay, one last question before I turn it over to Chris and uh, to the very many fan questions that we got from uh, from the very many Copperhead fans out there. Um, we last had Zach Goff on uh, the show six or seven months ago, right after your big fight with Mammoth. So the big question is, where is Zach now? 
And uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the the roster for for Copperhead 2021? Of course. Um, Zach is on the beach right now sipping margaritas. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, Zach's very busy. He's he's in the oil and gas industry, and things are just kind of going crazy right now. So he had to bow out of this season. Um, the way we're looking at it is Zach is just kind of metaphorically handing over the keys to Copperhead this year. We we assume and hope that he's going to be back next year when he has more time. But for right now, we're just kind of um, it, it's in our possession right now. So we're just going to take it to Balbots, do the thing with it, and we'll see how it goes for next season. But um, unfortunately, yeah, he's not going to be able to attend this year. And Robert, I heard that you are taking over as the captain of the team. Is that right? Correct. So this year, um, I'm actually going to be co-captaining with my wife. Um, you might have seen her last year. She did all the drum artwork. She did the um, actual painting on the outside of the bot. And she's I've always been my sounding board for all of my designs. Um, Crippling Depression wouldn't be Crippling Depression without her. Uh, Originally, I was going to do kind of a four-wheel vertical spinner, but she actually convinced me to try something a little bit different and do an undercutter. So she's always kind of been my sounding board, and she is kind of the quote-unquote official um, co-captain with me. And of course, we've got Luke on the team, and then Chad New, um, who many of you know from recent Norwalk fame. Uh, we've also got Micah Spinelli. Um, I don't know if anyone remembers the epic fight between Beam and Crippling Depression. Uh, Micah is the maker of Beam, mm. so that should be pretty fun. And yeah, that um, is our team for this year. Amazing. Well, I hope that we can break some news here. On over to you, Chris, and uh, all of the fan questions. All right, Robert and Luke, uh, let's go um, rapid fire through these many fan questions that we have. Uh, starting with a six-parter from Alexander Archer, who is just going to rip the Band-Aid off early and is going to ask the big one, is Copperhead returning for the upcoming season of BattleBots? <laughs> Copperhead will be attending the 2021 World Championship event in Las Vegas in August. You heard it here. Um, I don't have the button anymore, Luke. <laughs> We're gonna, yeah, we just have to have to make the, the sound with our, our, our mouths. Yeah. We'll add it in post. We'll add it, we'll <laughs> fix it in post. Uh, all right, the second question I have from Alexander. Is there anyone you would love for Copperhead to fight against in this upcoming season? Oh, that's, that's a tough one. I'm going to answer that, and then I'm going to let Luke have his answers. Want to fight? I really, really want to fight Duck. Um, because I, I just think that we could take off so many pieces of Duck. I'm not saying we would win. I'm just saying it would be really fun to just take chunk after chunk after chunk off a of Duck because that thing is just going to keep coming at you. Um, beyond that, I'm not really sure. There's a lot of control bots out there this year, and you know, more and more there's just more control bots and driving bots and that's just not really great for Copperhead. So I just kind of want something that we can beat up on. So I think Duck is my choice. Uh, what do you got, Luke? Oh, man. I don't know. There's just so many scary robots. Uh, I don't really want to fight anybody. I just uh, I don't want to fight any robots. I just want to somehow make it to the finals uh, without a single match. So uh, I every single robot's scary in their own way. So I just... Uh, 
it's just the the luck of the draw in my mind. So well, you, you gotta pick one. You gotta pick one <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of the fans want us to, to fight Minotaur because everybody wants to know who's the best drum robot. But at the same time, you know, the real bots build some of the best robots out there. You know, they have tons of experience. But um, so I think I think that would be a fun match. But I wouldn't. I don't want to repair Copperhead after that. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> All right. Other than preparing Copperhead for the upcoming season, what have you been up to since last season? Oh, man. What have we been up to? Um, I, I feel like we just got done with last season. Um, I know it's been a while, but I feel like I just flew home from last year. Um, haven't really been up to much. We've just been doing some home improvements around the house and did a little bit of traveling, but Combat Robots is kind of an all year event you know as soon as you get done with the event then i gotta do all the youtube videos and i just finished the um, youtube videos from last season like what back in april so you know only a couple months in between you know from the old season to the new season so yeah it's kind of it's almost a year-round thing anymore yeah i think in i think in my case um you know there's there's uh I'm not busy producing YouTube videos, but I am always busy uh, working on new robots. So I think uh, since last season, I finished building the 18-pound gyro walker uh, kitten mittens, and then I just recently finished the uh, the new 12-pounder uh, troll toll, and then also working on uh, on working on some of the upgrades for Copperhead. So the robot action never stops. So one big change that we have this year is the location. So Alex, Alex's next question is, how would you feel about the show being filmed now in Las Vegas instead of Long Beach? I think Vegas is going to add something a little bit different. Um, I'm not really sure what notions people have in their head when they think of, you know, battle bots in L.A. or Long Beach, but... I'll tell you what, it is not the opening shot to the show. It is in a warehouse, you know, in some seedy alley off in the corner of Long Beach. Um, it's it's not in an amazing location. So I think going to Vegas is going to be kind of a nice refresh from what it's been in the past couple of years. And I like the idea of gambling. Um, I like the idea that this is kind of more of a legitimate sport that people could bet on. and. I'm, I'm actually cautiously optimistic to see what Vegas is going to add to the mix. Have you ever thought about bringing two robots to the competition instead of just one? Oh, God, no. Um, <laughs> I don't know how teams do multiple robots. Um, I guess there's some redundancy in what you have to pack in terms of tools and stuff like that. Um, I personally tend to... I think two is the maximum robots I've ever brought to an event, and it's just it's really hard spreading your focus across multiple bots and i don't know how luke feels on this but i just can't imagine having to focus on two completely different robots and you know what if something happens and you have to get a new part machined or you have to you know overnight something it's just i can't imagine doing it with two different designs and two different robots i think for me copperhead is enough yeah, and I, and I think when we're working under the the Caustic Creations brand, uh, well, it'll probably always be some form of drum robot. So I think if if we were to go a different route or try to bring two robots, we would have to somehow you know bring the second robot under a different team name or a different brand that would be like more appropriate for a radically different design. 
So I know we touched on this earlier, but Alex wants you to draw a clear line in the sand. Do you think Copperhead has replaced Minotaur and Yeti as the top drum spinner in the field, like Hydra did with Bronco as the top flipper in the field? That is such a loaded question, and I know it's meant to be loaded, but it's it's really hard. I don't think that there's any definitive best drum spinner because, you know, I find a little bit of fence that there's not other vertical spinners on there like you know where where does the line get drawn between a drum and something like black dragon you know i think black dragon has every right to be there alongside yeti at the very least so it's one of those hard questions to answer um, we've been around for a little bit um, we've competed in what both seasons of the reboot up until now and i don't know i think I think we're a legitimate bot. I mean, if you look at our performance last year, we had some pretty serious knockouts. We've got a lot of good knockout potential. We just kind of need to get the drive situated. And I don't know, I kind of think we need, we deserve to be up there alongside Minotaur. Obviously they have a much longer history in robots, but if you look at just past performance, you know, I think we're comparable, at the very least comparable. Right, and to, and to go along with that, you know, um, you know, Zach, the the original designer of Copperhead, has been fighting drum robots, you know, forever. And if you go back in history, you know, his most successful robot um, was on MakerBot, and he's fought the Brazilians multiple times with this. You know, the Brazilians fight a lot of sixty-pound robots, and every single time that he's fought them, he's came out on top. So I think, you know, historically speaking, you know, we we have a really good pedigree, and I think how Copperhead is built, the geometry, just the form factor. It has the potential to be probably the most competitive drum robot ever made. The reason why it's not is just, you know, we're going every year, we learn more about the robot, we fix more problems. So I think I think once we dial it in a little bit more, uh, you know, this is our third year with the same robot, it should be really dialed in. And I think we have a really good chance to do extremely well. And I think when you compare it to other drum robots, I think we have an advantage. So I would say, yes, Copperhead is the best drum robot in the competition. (laughs) Go Copperhead. (laughs) I smell a new rivalry. All right. uh, I have some questions here from Noel uh, Viegas who wants to know what's one upgrade or major change that you've made to Copperhead for this season since, uh, since last year. This is an easy one. Um, everything associated with the drive is being upgraded. Um, if it hasn't broken, we didn't fix it. But if we've had any issues with it whatsoever, it's getting tossed and it's going to be brand new. Uh, we're keeping the wheels because we just really haven't had any issues with the wheels. But then pretty much everything from then on is getting tweaked or upgraded. Um, you know, if you've been following my YouTube channel, you've been seeing you know some of the little upgrades we've been doing, but you know, the motor shafts we had problems with, get rid of those. The motors we had problems with, get rid of those. The bearings, every single component that we've ever had even the smallest issue with is gone. So the whole drive system of Copperhead is going to be brand new this year. That's pretty cool. Um, Noel also wants to know, is the drum art going to return this year? Yes, um, that is a great question. Um, Kim, my wife, is going to be the co-captain this year, and um, that is something that we kind of had that idea, what, like a third way through the season last year. Um, It just kind of gave us something to do. You know, there's a lot of downtime between fights, and that is absolutely going to be returning. Um, We liked doing it, and the other teams really appreciated it too. It's, 
it's really cool to have just kind of an original bespoke piece of artwork on the robot that obviously is just temporary it's like graffiti you know it's just going to get damaged or washed away or chipped away so i don't know it's kind of a neat little touch to do and yeah we enjoy it so we're definitely going to bring be bringing it back for this year that's pretty cool that's pretty cool all right i have a question here from uh, mario cast uh and his question pertains to copperhead size uh, Mario goes on to say, uh, Team Copperhead, a uh, great compact bot design. With that said, does the compact design limit your ability for internal motor shock proofing against hard impacts? I, yes. Um, yes, having the smallest bot at BattleBots significantly limits what you can do. Um, we were redesigning the drive I remember, Luke, you remember this, we were sitting there with the whiteboard and we were basically trying to find every single motor that would just fit in the copperhead. And there is a there is a space constraint, you know, not even talking about shock mounting or anything else, but just simply fitting everything into the existing frame and chassis is quite challenging. And because Copperhead has a unique design, you know, our whole frame is essentially one inch hard ox. Now, most people, you know, some people aren't even using that for weapons. They're using thinner than that for weapons. So the fact that our whole frame is just so dense and so hard, it is difficult to shock mount because, you know, your frame is already kind of anti-shock mounted to begin with. Uh, when you use an all-aluminum frame, even the aluminum just kind of helps absorb some of that impact. But when you're using thick steel, it just kind of rings through the whole frame. And those are some issues that we've been seeing in past competitions. Um, we're trying to mitigate that a little bit this year by doing some shock mounting, um, even just using dissimilar materials. Going from steel into aluminum definitely helps because there's a different resonant frequency to each of them. So using different materials and just kind of changing up the way things get mounted should certainly help this year. Um, but, you know, it always comes down to space and weight and money. You know, you're always fighting those three things. You might have the space for it, but you don't have the weight for it. You might have the weight for it, but you might not have the size or the space for it. So you're always kind of up against at least one of those factors. Yeah, to go along with that, I, I think there's, you know, there's tons of advantages to having small compact robots. You can have, you know, a deadly weapon and still have great armor. But, you know, like like Rob said, you know, the shock mounting becomes more difficult. And another downside is you also fit between the arena walls a lot better. And I, I think that's something that not a lot of other teams have issues with. But I think at this point, Copperhead's gotten fallen between the cracks of the arena like three times. So that's that's one of the few downsides of having a tiny robot is you just fit in all the little crevices on the outside of the arena, which uh, who knows, you know, it could be a problem in the future. Maybe not. And you got to be extra careful that nobody just puts it in their pocket and walks away with it. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty heavy paperweight. I wouldn't expect anyone to just pick it up and walk away. <laughs> All right, I have two highly technical questions from listener Ben Moak. Ben asks, first, you've done a volume test on Copperhead's drum, which spins at about 170 miles per hour. How loud do you think it would be if you cranked it up to 250? That's... It's a great question, but definitely not something I'm prepared to answer accurately. So I'm going to say the volume is going to be greater than what it currently is. That's, that's kind of the best answer. Um, this stuff starts to get really tricky. So once you start hitting about 200 miles an hour, 
there starts to be this kind of wall that you hit and everything is kind of linear up to about 200 miles an hour and then things stop being linear and what i mean by that is it might take let's just say 50 amps worth of current or whatever to get up to 100 miles an hour to get up to 150 it's about 50 percent more than that and you know everything's kind of linear but then when you hit 200 miles an hour you kind of have this wall that you got to push past so i'm not really sure one we would have the power to get up to 200 or 250 miles an hour because you start hitting that wall of wind resistance and because of that man it might start getting really really loud so I would say, I don't know, we're currently like at 110 decibels, I think, right now. I think 120 is about the max we'd be doing. Every three decibels is um, about double the sound pressure level, and I just don't think we'd be able to generate much beyond 120 decibels. So, I don't know, that's my, you know, just kind of back of the napkin answer. Yeah, to, to go along with that, we, we were at early on in the design phase of uh, Copperhead. I know uh, Casey was talking about potentially building an air raid siren behind the drum. So as the drum would compress the air, it would start to actually be an air raid siren. So you could actually put that compressed air to good use and make it insanely loud if you wanted to, but that never made it into the final design, unfortunately. Aww. <laughs> uh, Ben's second question is, how come you chose brass, uh, brass bushings to replace the bearings as opposed to a different material? Well, um, so yeah, this year for the intermediate drive, which sits between the wheels and the motor, so you basically have two stages, and that intermediate is right in the middle of those two. Um, we're actually going with bronze bushings, um, not brass, slight difference. We're going with that because basically no moving parts. Uh, we have a fixed amount of size that we can have for the bearings, and with a bearing, you have the outer race, the inner race, and then the balls that sit on the inside. I know some people are raising their hands right now saying, well, actually, there's needle bearings, there's roller bearings. Yeah, there's other types of bearings out there. But generally speaking, you have three surfaces. You have an outer race, an inner race, and then some sort of rolling mechanism between them. Because of the space constraint that we have, those rollers can only be of a certain size and they're relatively small given what we're trying to do. So moving over to a solid bronze bushing removes those moving components and hopefully gives us something that is a little bit more robust. Um, bronze bushings are used in a lot of machinery because they're basically maintenance free. The downside to a bronze bushing is they're generally used for low RPM application. And for this application, we're kind of getting right up to the upper limit of what we should be doing in terms of RPM. However, we only need these things to last three minutes maximum. So thankfully, if we were putting these in a um, you know pump motor or something that's running 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, this would probably be the wrong application, but because we're only running these three minutes at a time, having that solid bronze bushing is gonna be really nice, and it's just one less thing to go wrong. The, with combat robots, you always look at failure mode, right? What is the failure mode? When a bearing fails, it's going to break, and it can usually jam up or just completely come free, and then the whole shaft is just kind of wobbling inside. With a bronze bushing, if that thing breaks, it's really still going to do the same function. It might just be a little bit looser, um, but that's totally okay. So hopefully the failure mode is in line with what we're trying to accomplish. 
Before I hand you over to Lindsay to wrap up the fan questions, I have one more from B is for BattleBots illustrator Caleb Kenson, who wants to know, who makes the best YouTube videos, Team Copperhead or Team Scorpios? And will there be a rematch to decide it? Note, Scorpios co-captain Diana Tarlson also asked about a rematch. Man, all these loaded questions. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be very diplomatic here. Um, we can't really judge the quality of any YouTube channel. Um, but I will say is that the Scorpios channel has been out for like seven or eight months. Um, my channel has been around for seven years. And I think I've got about 25 times the views and the subscribers. So I don't know. If you want to go based on quantity, eh, maybe I win it. Um, I really do like what Scorpios is doing. Um, but mine's just kind of a little bit more of a general channel. So I don't know. I like mine better. Um, some people might like Scorpios's better. I think the real answer here is both are perfectly good and everyone should binge watch and subscribe to both channels. Yeah, and, and I think to answer the question, would we want a rematch? I, I think we, we definitely would. Um, Scorpios is a fantastic robot, but at the same time, that one, that was, I think, the first match that Copperhead had. And, and uh, we definitely, I think at one point we realized we just didn't lock tight some screws um, is what it ultimately came down to. And then uh, we lost the drive because of that. And then Scorpios was able to take advantage of it. They dropped the hammer, they broke a chain, but what initially the, the chain of reaction of bad things uh, started with us just not lock tighting a screw. So um, I think uh, we would definitely welcome a rematch. Logistically, I, I know why this wouldn't be possible, but it would be so, I think, overall beneficial if like there was a way to do an exhibition match before the season started so you could kind of work out some of those like kinks and teething issues and things you might like overlook, you know, for a match, but... I, I understand why it can't be that way, but I feel like, um, you know, so so many of those first matches, like you're saying, end up to be, you know, kind of not rough, but like you're still figuring things out. And uh, in, a, in a perfect world, it'd be cool if you could kind of like work that out with an exhibition match or something before before the like true season started. Yeah, it's. You know, the very first fight of any bot is always really tricky. And like Luke said, in that very first fight, we didn't kind of have the assembly down. And yeah, we missed a couple screws that should have definitely been thread locked. That caused the drive issue on one side to go down. And we were using master links. That was the very first and only fight where we used master links. And we found out very quickly that, wow, those things break easy. So yeah, it would be nice now that we've kind of got a couple years under our belt to revisit that fight for sure. We would love it. Yeah, I think one thing that a lot of builders don't do, but Matt Maxim, uh, the builder of Stinger, he would always test his robots by literally throwing them off the second floor of his house onto the concrete floor. And uh, I don't think that's a, that's something that we've we've done, but I think uh, it's a great test if you can pull it off. Is just throw your robot off a two-story building, and if it survives, then uh, that's some pretty good testing. Oh yeah, it's those early matches are they're just they're terrible because certain things just kind of come out of nowhere. Um, I think was it Gruff was our second or third fight that we ever had, and I was driving in that fight. And right before the fight, we had it in the test box just to, you know, do the, do the thing. 
and it kind of felt a little bit weird. And then once we got it in the box, I was realizing that one of the drive sides was just giving up like every 10, 15 seconds. So you can kind of see the bot just kind of stop and then one side was going. And we looked at it afterwards and it turns out that the motors were giving this, this erroneous temperature reading. And then the ESC thought, oh wow, they're way too hot. I should shut these down. And we learned, oh yeah, just you know, disable the temperature and then we're good. But yeah, you learn all that stuff um, very quickly and you really only learn it when you're fighting. It never comes up when you're testing it. And hope nobody is uh, standing underneath. <laughs> um, all right, so speaking of rematches then, Benjamin Grossman wants to know, are you ready for a rematch of Mammoth Proportions? <laughs> uh, I understood that reference. Um, I don't know. I mean, sure. Mammoth was a tough match for us for many different reasons. Um, we would, of course, welcome a rematch with any bot because that's what you got to do, right? You have to fight everyone out there. You can't cherry pick who you want to fight. The problem with Mammoth is it's just such a disruptive bot. Um, they're probably not ever going to knock us out because um, I just don't really see that happening. Um, but we definitely need to go into that fight a lot more prepared this time. So yeah, if we get thrown a matchup with Mammoth again, we'll totally take it. We'll you know try and do better this time. But it's it's one of those weird matches to where I'm not really sure what anyone's going to be proving. I don't think you can ever prove that Mammoth is a better bot than Copperhead or Copperhead's a better bot than Mammoth. They're so drastically different and on different ends of the spectrum that it could go, you know, one way every single time. Yeah, I think an interesting aspect of that fight was, uh, I think originally the, the Mammoth team was trying to run their tubular steel uh, lifting mechanism. But I think earlier on in the competition, that had just broken so many times they couldn't get it fixed. So they had to switch out to their UHMW flippity-floppity lifter. And it actually worked super well to their advantage. So uh, I think that's a really interesting aspect of that fight that, you know, had they run what they were originally planning on, if we it would have gave our drum something concrete to bite into. Where when they flip, when they switched to those floppity UHMW lifting uh, forks, like, you know, we couldn't purchase anything. So we really couldn't do as much damage as, say, like the Hypershock match against Mammoth, where, you know, he where Will was able to get really good purchase on their lifter because it was, you know, welded steel, where their uh, UHMW lifter, like you can't really catch anything on it. So I think, uh, you know, I think even the Mammoth team was quite surprised on on how things went with that. Yeah, kind of a, a happy accident for them and, and then <laughs> throwing you into uh, yeah. uncharted territories, basically. Yeah, tragic accident for Copperhead. Yeah. Um, so a good thought experiment question from Will Hahn, who writes... You both have some incredible and especially unique insect weight builds. If each of you were to build your own heavyweights, what would they be? And let's say you don't have to abide by the active weapon or true walker standards. Oh, um, I'm really curious to see what Luke says for this. Um, I think, I think if I had, you know, if I had a gun to my head and I had to build a heavyweight all my own right now. Um, I would go between, I'd probably, I mean, realistically, I'd probably do Crippling Depression as a 250-pounder. Um, my only hesitation with that is it ends up being very, very similar to Rotator. Um, they're kind of similar bots, so that might be a little bit redundant to the field. 
the other idea i've been kind of tossing around is doing a two hundred and fifty pound lolo man and i don't think the field really has anything like that and i think it could be very problematic for a lot of people so i probably put my focus more towards lolo man and for anyone not familiar lolo man is i think it's like 12 millimeters um, tall overall is just the thinnest lowest bob i could possibly make in the beetle weight class and scaled up to a 250 pounder i think i could probably do the whole thing at about like two inches tall and it would just be a really difficult robot to fight yeah and i i think for myself um if i had to build one you know there's there's a lot of interesting designs that i've i've thought about but i think given my past couple robots uh, it would have to be some kind of heavyweight gyro walker um, you know, team. I want to. I want Team Rex to definitely build a new version of Rex, but um, I know they're pretty. Uh, they they really Rex really needs a weight bonus to do better than what it did do. So uh, hopefully, either Team Rex can build uh, a new Gyro Walker, but if not, then uh, I might try to throw my hat into building a, a heavyweight Gyro Walker. I would love to see both of those very very much. Uh, but I know how hard it is, obviously, to, to get one bot in the competition, let alone, you know, like you were saying, run run two or, you know, one, one each. So uh, I'll keep hoping. But um, uh, so uh, finally, as with every episode, we end with a series of deeply philosophical questions from BattleBot superfan Mary Catherine Carr. Uh, so her first question is, Luke, how do I get the perfect bedhead look? The quintessential look, I'd say. Oh, boy. You know, <laughs> I guess I'm kind of known for bad hair, but in my defense, I was born with a lot of calyx. So uh, it, I'm just going to say it's genetic. And if I have bedhead, I'm going to blame it on genetics. <laughs> I think she was a fan, so you know you, you got you got that going for you, um, Robert. As a as the man with the best beard at BattleBots, what tips do you have for others? She's she's really paying attention a lot to uh, you know facial hair. I'd say. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's embarrassing. I've I've had this question before on various podcasts, and my answer is always the same. Is I do very little, if anything. I don't use any product. Um, I don't really pay attention to it all. I think it's just getting out in the shop and using power tools constantly is my secret. Um, design something, build something, use power tools almost every day of your life, and you too can have a glorious beard. <laughs> part genetics, part power tools. All right, I, I got it. <laughs> Um, so, Luke, as the Minibot Artisan, will we see new mini snakes in 2021? I'm actually, side note, I'm surprised it hasn't come up already because those mini snakes were so cool. Um, and then uh, to go on with Mary's questions, or perhaps snakes with legs? Okay, maybe I just want to see kitten mittens minibots scuttling slowly to their death. Yeah, so they're definitely, I think we will have uh, the baby snakes back. Um, they don't weigh anything. They don't do anything. Um, they're just for fun. Um, they don't cost that much to make, and they just explode if you look at them funny. So um, they're just for fun, just for show. Just try to add a little bit more entertainment value uh, to the show uh, without a lot of cost. So uh, I did buy everything to make, I think, like 12 more baby snakes. So I think we'll have even more than we had last season. So I guess if any other teams need a little mini bot, we'll have extra baby snakes that we can throw in their matches as well. 
Oh man, uh, I'm secretly hoping that all 12 get to compete at the same time. Why do people fear rattlesnakes more than copperheads? When I was in Colorado, I saw way more signs warning of rattlers, and I feel like that's unfair. Do you have a stance on rattlesnakes versus copperheads? I think it all comes down to marketing, really. I think rattlesnakes have just, they just have better brand awareness. I don't think a lot of people know about copperheads because, yeah, if you're faced with a rattlesnake or a copperhead, you probably would pick the rattlesnake, I think. Uh, you know, a little a little known fact, the first name we wanted to choose for copperhead was actually Nightcrawler. Um, but then we realized that that has a lot to do with, like, the Marvel Universe. I think there's some Marvel character called Nightcrawler, and uh, it would have made things get a little bit ugly. So the He was in the X-Men. Yeah, the X-Men. X-Men. Yeah. So, uh... So the the next option was uh, Copperhead. So just just for some some insider knowledge there. His uh, his his mutant ability was he was really good at bass fishing. <laughs> All right, a little joke for the the fishing fans out there. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so Copperhead has been incredibly reliable while also being small and zippy. Do you credit its reliability to being small but mighty? And what dark god gods do you worship to get so much power in such a small shell? Many turtles want to know. I think, I think Copperhead's perceived reliability comes from the fact that it's just a chunk of steel with a couple motors bolted into it. It is a deceptively simple bot. Um, it's gotten a little bit more complicated this year, but when you just weld up a bunch of one-inch thick steel and slap it into an arena, there's only so much you can do to the thing. So I think a lot of it just comes from the you know the overall structure of it. Everything is really overbuilt, really tanky, and it's just really hard to do much to it with when you hit it. You know, you just hit it and you're basically just hitting weapon to weapon almost every time. All right. So just a tip for any turtles listening, uh, coat your shells with steel. Um, and so uh, she says, I have to know where you got that snake arm puppet for reasons and definitely not because I want to wear one in the audience. Oh, with I don't we have two snake puppets, Luke. Yeah, we have two snake puppets, and uh, the first year we had a really janky sock puppet that's just very crude, and that's that's my favorite one. I love that sock puppet. And then the next year we got a much better sock puppet, way better features and artwork, but it just, I like I like the ugly one. I like the, the cruddy sock puppet better. I, I love that thing. So fun fact for all the listeners out here, that original sock puppet that Luke loves so much. Uh, my wife made that one, and that one was actually made out of a retired sock that ended up as a um, one of those um, neck things. You know, you fill a sock up with rice and you put it in the um, microwave, and you kind of got that little um, you know you put it around your neck for relieving tension. Um, that was the second stage of that sock's life. And then the third stage is we took the rice out of it and then we made it into a sock puppet. So it, it has lived a long and productive life. That is resourceful. Love it. Um, and so Mary's last point uh, is, I know drum art has already been asked about, but I just want to say, please more drum art. So your wife has a lot of fans out there. 
Okay, fantastic. Yeah, we, we will definitely be bringing that back this year. Uh, we'll see how time permits, but um, the, the thing about BattleBots is you kind of have to check in your robot, right? So you bring it out to the test arena, uh, do a function test, all that good stuff, and then you bring it inside and weigh it and do all that, and then it gets checked in. We would actually go through that whole process, and then when it was in line, for you know the next series of fights that's where my wife would do all the drawings so uh, we might have to do a little bit different process right now because she would have to bring all of her paints and supplies over to this line which was kind of on the other side of the um, uh, pit area so yeah we might actually do something a little bit better this time but it was always kind of hard to coordinate because you know you need to let paint dry and you know so we're sitting there with like a hot air gun trying to dry it in time and there's definitely times where we would go into fight and the paint was absolutely still wet so it was a bit of a challenge <laughs> oh man well thank you so very much for talking with us robert and luke we really really appreciate your time we love chatting with you and we cannot wait to see you and copperhead in the battle box next month and las vegas yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, love the podcast. You guys are awesome. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're traveling to Tokyo, where the engineers at Toyota have built a 6'10 basketball-playing robot capable of perfectly sinking a free throw from center court. The robot, named Q, C-U-E, made its debut this week at the Summer Olympics during the halftime show between a preliminary round between the U.S. and France. Q uses artificial intelligence to calculate the perfect free throw. In 2019, Q set a new record in the Guinness Book of World Records for, quote, the most consecutive basketball free throws by a humanoid robot, parentheses, parentheses assisted. Q successfully made 2,020 free throws in a row, a cheeky nod to the 2020 Olympics. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to take a look at this robot, but it has haunted my dreams ever since I first laid eyes on it. Yeah, for, for people who haven't seen it, maybe you could describe it. Um, I'm assuming you saw... Did you watch the Olympics or did you watch this on like social media? Because I feel like social media kind of like blew up about this robot. I really just looked at photos of it because I think I think the videos would be, you know, a, a little too far for me. <laughs> so it towers over humans and it's like got this like... It's got a skating motion. It can move itself to center court. And um, it, I, I don't know why it's so tall. It's like it's unnervingly tall. Oh, it is a basketball player. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it's it's got these black scales on it, just head-to-toe scales. Like, why is that necessary? Yeah, it, its hands look abnormally large. Um, he plays basketball. I know, I know. But it's just, it literally, it looks like it's a death machine posing as a basketball player. And it, it just, it has what looks like a humanoid head, but there is no features to it. There's just a... 
It's a cyclops. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it has a green circle in the middle of uh, amidst all of its uh, dragon scales. Here's the weird thing. All right, so I watched the video. Uh, Q picks up the basketball with two hands, but doesn't shoot the basketball with two hands. It just shoots it with one hand. Like it just cups the 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 basketball and tosses it from center court, and it just makes this perfect arc into the basket. It's strange to watch. It's really unfortunate, though, that he was already disqualified for the Olympics for testing positive for performance-enhancing drugs, though. <laughs> <laughs> These are the humanoid robots that uh, that we can come to expect in the future. Assisting us when we're 80, you know, <laughs> carrying us out of the car, put it, you know, bringing us up the stairs. These uh, these robots are here here to stay. Yeah, yeah. Studies have shown that the more you try to make uh, like either an avatar or some type of art- artificial intelligence like bot look more human, the brain is going to be too distracted um, by trying to reconcile it with what they know a human to look like. And so it actually like if it's there for like an educational purpose or whatever, your brain is basically going to not take in any of the educational stuff and rather be like so preoccupied with like trying to reconcile this like uncanny valley, you know, um, uh, bot. So I, I, you know, it is I think the correct thing to do to like not make it look extremely humanoid, but like making it pitch black with like dragon scales and just like abnormally large features is maybe not like also the right way to go. <laughs> I I feel like I'm normally like the one who's like, you know, kind of techno uh, skeptical on this podcast whenever we get to robots around the world. But like, I don't know. I feel like justified in this one. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. I don't know. I, I feel like, okay, make a robot look more like a person. Like, go to, like, a Polar Express kind of, like, levels. Or uh, go the absolute opposite direction. Don't give it a face. Just make it silver. You know, make it look like a MacBook. This is too, it's too much in the middle. All right, here, I, I have a solution. All right, for the entire world and for any roboticists listening uh, to this podcast, this is a free idea. Feel free to steal it. All right, stop making almost seven foot tall monsters who can you know do things perfectly uh that's terrifying people don't like that you know what scale it down put fur on it make it into like a golden retriever that can uh you know shoot a basket from center court people would love that (laughs) there's no rule in the book that says the robot dog can't play (laughs) basketball sign me up for robo airbud i'm in Uh, well, that's about it for us today. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. Bye.